hope you don't mind, I'm going to be teaching from my laptop. I like to play Galaga while I'm preaching. So. Um, <laughs> no, uh, this past week, um, Callie and I, my wife, for those of you who don't know who she is, uh, we went camping. Uh, we went to Providence Canyon. I'm sure some of you have heard of that. It's got a nickname, uh, Little Grand Canyon. It's in Lumpkin, Georgia, about an hour and a half away. Um, and it's, the name does it justice. It really seems like a miniature Grand Canyon, you know, uh, in Georgia. And it's interesting because the way it was formed, it was just uh, poor irrigation techniques by farmers. And just a lot of erosion started happening to form this canyon. But it's beautiful. She, she's been wanting to go camping for a while. And um, we don't get a, a lot of time uh, together just because our schedules kind of conflict. Uh, hence why she's not here this morning. She's working. It's the second time in a row I've been, been teaching, and Callie's not been here. Uh, everything is fine, I want you to know. Um, it's just work called her away. Uh, but anyway, we had a, we had a great time. Uh, she had this expectation of what the camping was going to be like because we, we backpacked for like three miles. Um, and I found out that my wife doesn't really know what contour lines mean on a map. And for those of you who don't read maps, contour lines dictate elevation. So the closer the lines are together, it means the steeper the incline is. So um, I got to teach her, you know, a little bit of map reading while I was there. But we had a great time. And, you know, the, the point of the trip was not, you know, to have the perfect trip. It was just really to spend time uh, with one another just on that relationship. It, it, we could have pretty much gone away and done anything that, that weekend. She would have been more than happy just to spend time with us, uh, with, with me, us together. And as I was thinking about it, I, I really feel like that's, that's the heart of the Father as well for us. Um, you know, his, his number one, you know, intention for us is to have relationship with him. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that God doesn't, you know, mind if we sin or anything like that. It's not. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't like when we sin, but that's not his, his focus for us. I mean, his, his heart is really just on that relationship. And I know that's true because when I look in Scripture and you look at the life of King David, um, David's called a man after God's own heart, and he did some awful things. Um, I don't know, some of you may not, may not know the stories, but, you know, uh, essentially he... Uh, slept with the man's wife, and then sent him on a suicide mission because he felt bad, and the guy died. Um, even in today's standard, that's pretty bad. You know, like you have a politician or a, a military member do that. That's, that's not who I would call a man after God's own heart, but, but God saw him that. And I think, I think really the, the key to why God called him that was because David knew he was not perfect. He was the first to admit when he messed up. And I think he also had just this special relationship with God. Because, I mean, like, how can you not, you know, after writing all those psalms, how can you not have some idea of of who God is as as a father and have have some kind of relationship? So, um, yeah, and I think that's, again, I, I think that's, the heart of the Father is just to, to have that relationship. And uh, today's, today's message uh, kind of evolved uh, from the beginning when I started, started uh, preparing for it. Um, originally, it was going to be called uh, Christians in a Woke Culture. Um, yeah, I know. Some people are like, yeah. It was go big or go home, you know. Um, but I, as I was, I was doing it, you know, well, first of all, let me say, the opening was going to be much different. I wasn't going to tell that story. I actually was going to open with a joke. Uh, and if you'd like, I'll, 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 I'll tell you the joke. Now, just forewarning, you have to stick with me through this joke. Because it's, it, there's going to be a, probably, the openers are probably going to be like, mm, I don't know where he's going with this. Once you're, once you're buckled into the ride, you cannot get off. Just saying. All right, just trust me to the end. All right. What do you call a black man flying a plane? A 
it's a, it's a pilot, you racist. Wow. Didn't I have the same effect? When I heard that joke for the first time, I was like, that's hilarious. But anyways, so I'm glad I didn't open with that. But no, as I was, as I was preparing the, uh, the message, I thought, you know, this is the, the idea of the woke culture in, in Christian society today is it's almost, it's almost like a, a pandemic. It's like an infestation. And, you know, I thought you know, this is something that's, that's relevant. This is something that would be good. But then when I was uh, asking God about it, he just said, no, that's, that's not what I want you to, to, to tell the people at DCF. Okay. And started, I started thinking, praying about it. I was like, yeah, that's absolutely right. Because if, if I'm honest, if we're all honest, I think every one of us in here knows where Scripture draws the line when it comes to different issues. Um, no matter whether it's sexual orientation, sexual identity, racism, any, anything like that. I'm, pre- I'm pretty confident most of us in here know where that line is. Um, and if, if you don't, uh, I'm happy, happy to, to discuss that with you. But I really feel like what God wanted to go after this morning is what is our response to sin? Because I think the proper response towards sin sets up the best possibility for restoration. Restoration in relationship, which is, as I said, the heart of the Father. Um, whether they're uh, a Christian or not, there, there's always a, a heart or, or a desire for restoration with God. Um, and so 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14, really, I think, sets the tone for, for this message. It says, remember to stay alert and hold firmly to all that you believe. Be mighty and full of courage. Let love and kindness be the motivation behind all that you do. So I, I, I think there's, there's no, there's no call to try to give in to anything, uh, to, to relent on what Scripture says as far as like, you know, does it really say that? Or try to, you know, cater to what society is saying. Not by any means. Scripture tells us to stand firmly and what we believe, and be mighty and full of courage. So not only are we supposed to, to dig in our, our, our heels to what we believe, we're supposed to be bold enough to, to talk about it, you know. But caveat there is always let love and kindness be the motivation behind all that you do. So if we look at what Scripture says when it talks about responding to sin, there's, there's three things that always are kind of the foundation in, in the response to sin. And that is love, grace, and truth. And love and grace kind of go hand in hand. Um, I'll be honest, like, I, I feel like if we, if we look at this, we kind of want to put it into like good cop, bad cop terms. You know, like love and grace are the good cop, truth is the bad cop. You know, which one is going to get the confession? Um, but it, it really, that's not a fair, that's not really not a fair shake for, for truth because really truth is, is love. Um, it's just maybe hard to hear. And the key to that is finding where the balance is. You know, it, it's, it's not, it's not a, a formula that's set, you know. Um, we look in Scripture and sometimes Jesus came, came hard at people with the truth. Sometimes he was more so leaning on the, on the grace and love. And I think if we, if we look at those uh, incidents, we can kind of tell why he did it that way. I think it's helpful for us. Um, so I'm, I'm going to look at, first off, how Jesus responds to sinners, those that are, those that are not in the church. All right. Uh, first scripture, this is John chapter 8. And just to give you kind of a setup for, for what this chapter is about, this is where Jesus is teaching and the Pharisees want to kind of get Jesus in a uh, stump him, pretty much. So they find a woman who's in the middle of the act of adultery, grab her and bring him forth to Jesus, throw, him down, throw her down, and, you know, what should we do with this woman, you think? And Jesus, they keep pestering him. 
and Jesus starts writing in the sand. Now, it doesn't say what he was writing in the sand. If, if I had to guess, just looking at what the, the following verses say, I have to say it's probably, I'd probably say it's the law. I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. But anyway, so we pick up in verse 7. It says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So, according to the law, they were in their right to stone this woman because that was death was the punishment for adultery. Absolute in their right to do that. And the Pharisees wanted to, to catch Jesus in this, in this kind of like trap, and he realized it. And so, you know, he, he says, you know, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. That's why I think he wrote the law right there in front of them, just so they could all see it right with their own eyes. And it's interesting that the older ones started to walk away first because obviously with, with age and wisdom, you realize you are not perfect. And then the one person who had every right to condemn this woman chose not to. He told her, Go and leave your life of sin. I would imagine this woman is probably, she's not probably like on cloud nine, but she's pretty close because she pretty much had a near-death experience right there, not knowing whether she would live or die. And Jesus brought grace and uh, love to this woman, heavy, heavy with grace and love, but still brought truth because he didn't say, no, you're not, you're not innocent. He said, go now and leave your life of sin. So he recognized this woman was living in sin, but he realized her vulnerability, that she knew she'd messed up. There was no way around it. She knew she wasn't perfect. And I, I think that's why Jesus led heavy with grace and love, because she was not in the position where she thought she was above it all. There's other examples in, in uh, Scripture that are similar to this in John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And um, he's telling her about him being the uh, water, of, uh, water of life. You drink from me and you'll never thirst again. And, um, you know, he tells her, go, go and get your husband. And her response is, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. So Jesus, Jesus doesn't shy away from, from bringing truth to people, not at all. Now, he, I think he did it a little gentler there because she was willing to admit it, but without him having to pull it out of her. She, she knew she'd messed up. And... Uh, he, he brings grace and love heavier on those that, that are more vulnerable, that know that they've messed up. Now, on the flip side, uh, Jesus, Jesus could bring the truth hard. Like, he could come at you pretty hard, like brutal. Um, I would have hated to be an, a Pharisee uh, during the time of Jesus because some of the things that he, he said to them were, gosh, um, hard very hard, like uh, Matthew 12, 34. <laughs> you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything is good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And then again in, in Matthew 23, 27, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. That is harsh, you know, like it, it's true, it's very true, um, and even, even though it's, it's hard to hear, there's still some love in that, you know, he's not going to, he could have kept it to himself, 
not let them have any kind of opportunity to, to hear where, the, where their hearts really were at. Uh, they just wouldn't listen. So even, even in dealing with the Pharisees, the people he was probably the hardest on with the truth, because there was an expectation of them as leaders of, of the, the law and just spiritual leaders of the body, if anyone should have realized that, that God's desire is, is more so with relationship rather than obedience, not that he doesn't ask for obedience, he does, but the heart, his heart is for relationship. And they, above anyone else, should have realized that. But they didn't. Their hearts were hard. That's why he came hard with them with the truth. There's going to be people that, that think that, you know, they're above it all. That, you know, when they go to the bathroom, it doesn't stink, if I can use that phrase. Um, it's just, they, they just think that, that, that they can't be touched. They're perfect. The truth will knock you down a few notches and then some. Jesus, there's another example I want to talk about in Matthew 19, 16 through 22. This is the story of a young rich man who came to Jesus and was asking what he needed to do to, to get eternal life. And it's Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And it goes on, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, if you ask me, he came hard with the truth, but with grace and love. It was almost like a half and half. Because I, I think this guy's intentions were, were sincere. Um, I don't think, even though he thought that he was keeping the commandments well, I don't think he thought himself higher than others because of it, like, like the, the Pharisees. So Jesus came hard with the truth. Um, because he went away sad. And the truth can, the truth can hurt sometimes. There's a difference between hurt and harm, and I think I've said this before. Um, in my line of work as a firefighter, there, there are situations where you have to hurt someone so that they are not harmed. Uh, example I'll give you. If there's a bad wreck and the driver is pinned into the driver's seat, like his leg's broken, it's, it's tight, if we had the time, we'd use proper tools to open it up to, to get him out as easily and as painlessly as possible. Sometimes in NBCs, things go wrong where the car will catch on fire. In that situation, it's what we call life over limb. Uh, it's better to save that man's life than let him sit in there and try to, try to get him out as painlessly as possible because there's a chance you're not going to get him out in time. It's going to burn up. So what we have to do is pretty much just yank him out of there. And it hurts. It hurts. But we do that in order to, so he's not harmed, so he's not killed. So the truth is like that. The truth can hurt, but it's not meant to harm. The truth there is meant to, bring, again, bring you in the right frame of mind, bring you into redemption to where you can get restoration with God. So when you're when you're dealing with sinners, those that are not uh, saved in the church, I think we we sometimes, I know I have, we sometimes have the wrong mindset that we somehow have to clean them up first before we 
present them to Jesus. Like that somehow they have to change their ways and then they can get saved. When that's, that's not what Scripture says. Don't, don't get me wrong. They, there needs to be repentance. But Jesus is the one that changes them, not me. I just need to present him to, to Jesus and show him the, the grace and love that Jesus wants to extend him, what he did on the cross for them. And if they have an encounter, you know, nine times out of ten, when you encounter Jesus, you, you go away changed. You know, there's going to be that repentance. So it, I, I feel like when dealing with, with sinners, understand sinners sin. That's their nature, you know. Uh, what we're offering them is a new nature. And the way they get that is encountering Jesus. So I, I think when dealing with sinners, uh, we have to keep that, that in the back of our minds. It's not always going to be a, a pleasant experience. It's not always going to be perfect. They're going to say things that are going to be awful. You know, you just have to get over it, you know. Um, but yeah, when you're dealing with sinners, you have to you have to know where their 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 heart is, and it's really it it really is spirit led. When 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 dealing with someone, as far as where where you bring heart, more truth or more love and grace, it's not like I said, it's not a formula. But it, it's when we have that relationship with God, where we're listening to Him constantly, we know the heart of the Father. He'll, he'll lead us into to which way we need to go when dealing with, with people. He really will. Now, on the flip side, when dealing with sin or dealing with a brother or sister who are living in sin, you're still dealing with grace, love, and truth. But there, there is a subtle difference. It's subtle and not so subtle. Depends. Um, but Jesus brought this up in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Um, he said, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now this is getting into church government and church discipline, which I know is everyone's favorite topic. Um, but it's important because... Again, as I said in the beginning, how we respond to sin, if we respond to sin in the proper way, it sets up the best possible outcome for restoration. And it's, it's just as true when you're dealing with a brother or sister. Because, like I said, if I'm, if I'm honest, most of us, if not all of us in here, probably have, have dealt with situations where uh, people we love um, who are brothers and sisters are, are getting it wrong, especially in this culture. Um, there's a lot of things that uh, th this, this culture is saying uh, is good, that the Scripture says is evil. Um, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of twisting and manipulation of, of the Word of God. And those that are not uh, mature can get swept up in this very easily. Because it, it's, very, it's very easy to try to cater to someone's feelings when the truth is hard. Um, and, and so this, this right here is set up to help keep those that are not mature, even those that are mature, from straying. And we look at this, and Jesus gives us pretty much four steps for, for dealing with uh, brothers and sisters in sin. First step is go and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Now, I'll put a caveat in this because if, if you feel like you're uncomfortable or you're unsure what to say, by all means, talk to a mature believer that you love and respect and get their advice and input. Don't feel like you have to just go in this solo uh, with, with no um, 
no, no wisdom from others or no advice, by all means, that, that's what we're, we're here for. We're meant to, to live life together and, and strengthen one another. Um, so if you encounter someone that you, you see is, is living, and I, I, and I mean living in sin, not they messed up and they are, well, I messed up, I shouldn't have done that. I'm, you know, that, that's, that's fine. That, that's called repentance. They recognize their sin. No, this is, this is something that is obviously sin that they either are not recognizing or are refusing to recognize. That there's a difference in that. Um, so go to them, and the, the intent is to go to them with, with love, grace, and truth. And again, the Spirit can, can lead you into what to lead with in these situations. Um, because preferably the person you're you're going to, to you have a relationship with on some level, um, so the intent, as I said, is to restore that brother or sister back into proper relationship with God. Now, most of the times, this first step is all it takes, and that's that's great. I love it when it it stops at the first step. Because it, as it goes on further and further, it gets more awkward. Um, but it, it, it's, it's there to protect them. Now, the next step, if they choose not to listen, take one or two others along. And it's still the same process. This is where you're going to probably grab another mature believer. And uh, this is just a suggestion. You don't have to. But it's probably not a bad idea to maybe inform someone in the church leadership just so they're aware. They, they don't have to be in the meeting. Uh, they can be in the meeting. But it, it, it's, it's best to kind of, you know, give a heads up to the leadership because the elders in the church are, are there to shepherd the flock. And if they don't know what's going on, it's hard for them to shepherd. Um, so the, the steps, step two is similar to step one, just involving more people. And again, the, the, the idea is not to come in and by any means uh, hit these people with like, how in the world, how could you do this? Like you're, you're, you're doing something awful. And there's nothing wrong with hitting them with truth. But I look in Scripture and I see where Paul uh, challenges believers, especially the, the people in, in the church in Corinth where they were doing vile things, even by today's standards. Um, he came with them, and he hit them with truth, but he, he, he came with them from the angle of like, don't you know your body is the temple? It's, it's the calling them back into the right identity, that, that, that aligning themselves back like, this is not who I am. This is, I'm not being who God created me to be. And it, it's, not, it's not trying to bash them over the head with their sin, by no means. It's coming with them with love and trying, again, clarifying their, their view of their own identity and to try to bring them back out of this. One second. Now, the third step, if the matter is not resolved, is to tell it to the church. Now, the Greek word they use here for church is ecclesia, which means the gathering of believers, so the church. I know that's, that's uh, a hard one to decipher, but I, I want to clarify, and I, I'm not speaking for the elders of this church. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical situation. If, if something were to happen here at DCF, I'm pretty sure... This setting right here, like where I'm at right now, is not where we would tell the church what's going on um, just because there's, there's guests and there's other people. Uh, how would you like to go to a family dinner, a, a friend's family dinner, and they say, all right, I know you're, you're all here because uh, Lisa, whoever, is cheating on her husband. We need to talk about that. I don't know about you. But I would probably excuse myself, go to the bathroom, and go out the window and not come back. That's just awkward, uh, and it's, it's inconsiderate. 
be considered the guest. So if I had to, if I had to imagine, it's probably going to be uh, a special meeting uh, with those that are the core of the church, those that are, are invested in the church, the people of the church. And again, the intent, this, this is where the leadership steps in, and this is where they are starting to protect the flock and also set up um, kind of the expectation for dealing with this brother or sister. Again, by no means, by no means to, to, to just slam them hard and, and you know, uh, just run them down for what they're going through or what they're doing. Um, but it's, it's to set up the expectation, you know, uh, because the church is full of mature and immature people. And honestly, immature people may get it wrong, and th- that's okay, you know. There's, there's the grace there for that. But it's really to, to come around the person who is in sin and just, brother or sister, like, do you not realize that, that what you're doing is damaging to yourself? You know, uh, when, when you're living in such open or, you know, blind sin that, that you're just refusing to hear, you know, wisdom and counsel from mature believers, uh, you're, you're heading down a path that is, is dangerous for you. Because that's sin, I mean, e- even though uh, as, as Christians, like, you know, we, we have absolute salvation you know, there, there's nothing that can take that away. Sin still has consequences here on earth. That's just the reality of it. Um, and, and there's a reason, that, you know, we're, we're called to put on the full armor of God. Because uh, any chink in that armor, the enemy is going to, to take advantage of. And I'll just say this. There's a reason that it's called the belt of truth and not the belt of your truth. Um, because your truth does not matter when it comes against the Word of God, because that's the absolute truth. And sometimes, like I said, it, in this society, it, it can be difficult to bring the truth because it can sometimes hurt someone. But the reality is, giving them the truth is is actually saving them from harm. And we have to we have to keep that mindset. And it's the same with dealing with with uh, brothers and sisters in the house, um, it's, it's meant to come around them and, and bring them back into that restoration, that, that, that relation, proper relationship within the body. Now, the fourth step, Jesus said, if they continue to not even listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, if you, just, if you just look at that verse and look at, at how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors, you think, okay, well, I mean, he, he was okay with them. Well, yes and no. Um, when Jesus interacted with sinners, Jesus was accused of being a, a glutton and drunk. And I know we all know that's not true. And the reason he was called a glutton and drunk was because he would hang, he, he, would, he would talk with people who were known to be drunks. Now, that being said, I highly doubt, you know, if one of these people was throwing a, a raging party where there's just alcohol flowing and people are just drunk and throwing up and it's just chaos. I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't in the middle of that. I, th- I think he, he made sure he disassociated himself from the sin but he didn't, he didn't neglect the sinner. You know, uh, an example that I, I'd have to give you, um, if, a, if a friend of mine at work, who I know has a, a bit of a drinking problem, invites me to a party, you know, it's probably wise of me, but hey, you know, uh, is there going to be a lot, a, a lot of drink? I, I don't mind. I just don't want, I don't want to get involved with anything that's just going to be crazy. That's just wisdom. Uh, because if I'm, if I'm going to associate myself with him, I don't want to be flung in the same kind of stuff that he's getting into. Um, even though Jesus was given that tag, he, he, was, he was wise, and he, I'm pretty sure he kept away, you know, set that boundary. Um, 
that being said, when it comes to a believer who is refusing to l- listen even to the church, I think we look in 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Um, we see what the intent of that, treat them as tax collectors and um, what was the other one? Uh, pagans. Um, I think we see clearly what, what Jesus um, means for that within the body. Uh, and in Corinthians, Paul had a very interesting relationship with the church of Corinth. Um, <laughs> they seemed to butt heads a lot. And uh, he was writing to them about some issues that he had heard about, about not only were people living in absolute immoral sexual sin, but that also the church was condoning it. And so he, he had to address this. Um, and he picks up in chapter 5, 9 through 13. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Now, he continues on. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. This can seem pretty harsh, but it really isn't when you understand the mind frame behind it and the intention behind it. Because if someone is is willing to go against the local body as far as not recognizing their sin or refusing to, to, to accept that what they're doing is wrong and continuing to live that way, they are, as I said before, sin has consequences. They are more or less infected. If you want to think about it in terms that we can very much associate with, uh, the church is quarantining them because they are not well. The expelling them from, uh, from among them is, it is to, to protect the body because they're sick. And you don't want that sickness infecting the rest of the flock. That's, that's, what, that's what the elders, that's what the leadership are called to do, to protect the flock, even if that means protecting them from one of their own who is not behaving like a sheep. Um, now, <clears throat> that doesn't mean we, we kick someone out the door and lock the door behind them and just say, go away. That's, that's not the, in, the intention. The intention is, is to not associate with that person as if everything is okay. Um, we would never uh, refuse anyone interest at this church, you know, as long as they're not going to do something harmful or whatever. Um, the church, this is what the church is for. It, it is for opening its doors to those out in the world that are living in sin so they can come in and, and get that restoration. Uh, so by no, by no means is this, is this completely kicking this person out of the church. It's, it's pretty much saying to them, okay, you know, um, you're obviously refusing to listen even to the church. Um, I, can't, when, I can't act like what you're doing is okay. Um, I, I, you know, if, if you're friends with this person, you, you really can't just go with them and, um, you know, just have lunch, have them over to the house. And, and act like everything is okay. Uh, it's, that's what the scripture is talking about. It, it's meant to, to show the person living in sin how serious it is, the decisions they're making, and how much of an effect it's having not only on them, but on the body of the whole. And it's meant to more or less slap this person back into reality, spiritual reality, of what is truth, and, and, and the, 
the way they're living their lives. So that, again, bringing restoration with, the, uh, with them and God, with them and the body. And like I said, that, that is the, that's the heart of the Father. I have, I, I know this is, this can be, it sounds easy. It's very difficult to, to do these steps. Um, personally, uh, I'm not aware of us having to do it here at, at DCF. Maybe we, maybe we haven't. I just was out for that time. I don't know. Um, but personally, applying this to your, to your own life, it can be it can be hard. I've I've had to to try to do this with friends, with family members. Um, and a little little caveat. Uh, when it comes to dealing with family members, people that you're not gonna you, your family, you you can't undo that. Um, that's not saying you can't go to or invite them over to the house for Thanksgiving, or you can't you know live life as a family. It's just recognizing that the situation they're in is not okay. And you and you just, you know, making that known. And and again, it doesn't have to be every time you see them. Hey, how are you doing with that sin? You know, it's that's not what that's meant to be like. That would just be I would I wouldn't want to hang out with you <laughs> if you're like that, you know. Um but it, it's it's knowing when to bring that challenge. And it's and again it's spirit led. Um Especially when dealing with family, because family is is kind of the closest relationships that that you can have on this earth, and you tend to see each other's dirty laundry, um, and when you when you start when you start challenging someone uh, on on sin that they're doing, don't be surprised if they try to come back on you and point stuff out that you've done wrong. Accept it. Accept that. I've absolutely done that. And I, it was wrong. But what you're doing is wrong and you're not accepting it. And that's the problem. And dealing with, I, I, I've dealt with friends who weren't necessarily with, within, what I would say, the lo- my local body. Um, they live somewhere else. And, and them living in, in what I see in Scripture to be clearly sin that they somehow want to make an exception for or whatever. Um, how, how do you do these steps when they're not part of the local body? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, it's, it's kind of a, it, it's more or less, you can't, you can't obviously bring them before the church if they're not a part of your church. And uh, so some of, the, some of the steps aren't really, I'll use the word appropriate for the situation. Um, what's going to be recommended is, is just dealing with them one-on-one, get a friend, and then you 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 treat them as as Paul did. Um, I, I would say there's nothing wrong with grabbing lunch if the intent is to, hey, can we talk about this again? By all means, grab lunch. If it's just like, hey, you want to go to the beach, like, buddy, I I can't. I think you know why because we we've talked about this. I would love to go to the beach with you. But you're, what you're doing is wrong. Um, it sounds harsh. Believe me, it, it sounds very harsh. And it can feel harsh if you're on the receiving end of this. But you've got to know the, the parameters and the, the, the mindset, the intention behind all this. It is to bring restoration for that person. So why is all this important to us this morning? Why, why, why should we care how to respond to sin? You're crazy if you, you're not going to encounter some people in your lives, whether it's at your work or at a family gathering or friends. 
that aren't going to occasionally mess up and not realize it and need some someone to help them draw attention to it. Um, you know, I, I think I think if we're going to be intentional about reaching people for Christ, which is something we're called to do, we have to have the, the proper response to sin in order to do that. Um, and I think if if I know for me, um, just dealing with with people that I that I work with. I don't know if you know this. Firefighters can be pretty rough people. Um, yeah, that's just it's kind of kind of have to have a certain kind of mentality to do that kind of job, and they can be rough. But I can't disassociate myself with them if I if I want to reach you know people that I work with that I may call friends or at least associates, um, and I have to be able to properly approach them in response to their sin. Same with believers. If I want to have good relationship with anyone in this body or family members who are believers, I have to have an, a proper response to their sin. Proper response brings the best possible outcome for restoration, which is the heart of the Father. I hope that was <laughs> enlightening somewhat. Um, I know for me, it, it's been kind of eye-opening as, as I've been prepping and planning for this. So this, this week, I would challenge you. There's probably someone that, that you know that, that probably could use some challenging. I think, I think what we're called to do is to bring that challenge in, in the proper context. Keep your eyes open if you, if you don't have anyone in mind. Keep your eyes open to those around you. God's always speaking to us. He's always speaking to you. He's always wanting uh, to grow your relationship with him, but also to bring others into the fold. So, God, we just thank you that you are a God who loves, loves relationship with us. That, that is the core of your heart for us. God, I just, I just thank you that <laughs> you're always there to give us guidance, whether it be in your word or just through wisdom of others or the Holy Spirit just, just speaking to us to, to give us guidance when things get tough, when things get oh, confusing sometimes. We have this anchor in, in Scripture and, and, and the relationship of knowing who you are as a father to help keep us on the right path. God, help us in, in dealing with, with people. Help us to do it well. Help us to be able to bring truth, grace, and love in the proper balance. And recognize that it's going to be different. It's going to be different every time. There's no cookie-cutter way of, of doing it. God, we just love you this morning. We thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Um, when Dave approached me about uh, sharing this message, I was uh, I'm like, that's bold. <laughs> Especially uh, when he's not an elder. I mean, it's usually a conversation and usually a message that we'll, you know, let elders speak into. Um, part of it is because they carry that authority, as he was talking about. But uh, I appreciate Dave's boldness because it's hard is in, I think, what was coming out of this. And this is what I want to kind of leave you with as we kind of go into the future. Um, reaching people who don't know Christ is a big stinking deal. <laughs> As it turns out, it's like that's, that's exactly what you and I are supposed to be doing on a regular basis. Um, Jesus said, go and make disciples. So that's what we needed to do. We need to go make disciples. Let me just say this. To do that, it creates tension. Because <laughs> to deal with someone who's a sinner who doesn't know Christ is to confront them with their sin. Really, the nature, their nature of sin, not just the actions that they're doing, but the motivation from their heart and the fact that they've made themselves their own God and the whole, you know, that whole thing. Uh, and it creates a tension. But that tension is built out of a love for them and a heart for them that, that 
God has. God holds that tension. His tension was, I love these people, but they're broken in their sin, so I want to pay a price so that their sin can be taken away. But they still have to make the choice if they want to be with me or not. It's a big choice. Um, in Tyler, Texas, we ministered to, um, for a season especially, this has been 15, 20 years ago, um, some people who were involved in a homosexual lifestyle. And I know this can be controversial, so here we are. <laughs> and so one guy who gave his life to Christ, he came in, uh, he was living in another state, came in to visit a friend on a Wednesday night. I was preaching about dominion. It's, it was a series that we were doing, and I just teaching into a song on Wednesday night, just on dominion. And in the middle of preaching, I kept hearing the Lord say, I want you to say this phrase. I, I don't even remember what it was. But I remember the, the intensity of it was I couldn't let it go. So somewhere in the middle of the sermon, I stopped and I said, listen, I'm feeling like the Lord is, saying, is telling me to say this phrase. I have no idea what it means or who it affects, but I've learned to be obedient. So if, it, you know, if this is to you, come talk to me after the service. I'd love to pray with you and minister to you. So I share the phrase. And it was about justifying, something to do with justifying my sin in a way that someone particularly was justifying their sin. And so a man came up to me afterwards and said, hey, um, that was me. He said, um, I've been dealing with homosexuality since I was 10 years old. My dad was a pastor. You know, they laid hands on me. They shook me. They, you know, all kinds of did different things to me over the years. And he said, and I ended up in this lifestyle, and I've been living with a man as a husband in, in another state. And he goes, and he goes, I don't know how to say this, but he said, the phrase that you gave was what I had been using since I was 10 years old to justify my sin and my identity and he said and you basically pulled the rug out from under my feet and I got nowhere to stand and so I said I wonder why God would do that out of meanness maybe is that what you heard and he's like no I don't think that's it I said I don't think it is either and so we we prayed I ended up taking you know we prayed and he said um his son knew he would truly repented. He said, listen, when I start liking women, I'm going to need some help because I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so he, he had already made a decision that whatever he was feeling and whatever he'd used to justify his actions, he could no longer use if he was going to be intellectually and spiritually honest. So he made a decision. And he turned his life around. I drove a thousand miles to another state in the western part of the country. Um, we go in, he goes into his house. He gets his stuff. He has a conversation with his husband. And, uh, you know, I could see it through the window. And from time to time, he would point to me outside. And I was like, what exactly is the conversation? Because <laughs> all that guy sees is another guy in his <laughs> So I'm like... Uh, what have I gotten myself into? Anyway, <laughs> so the guy, you know, they, it, was, it was really hard. It was difficult, but he made the decision, and he came, and he got in the car, and he said, I, I'm ready to be different. And uh, long story short, we come back to uh, our city. He moves in with the family that he'd been visiting. They were great friends and helped him walk through getting free from something that people had told him was not something he could be free from, that it was his identity. And, and God was saying, that's, I don't, uh, that's not what I see. This is what I see. And so there was a moment where um, he uh, lost it a bit, and he went a bit astray. His friend calls me, and he says, Hey, man, I was leaving work, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go home a different way. This is God's kindness again, and also tension. And so he gets, I'm on my way home, and I drive by that park that's notorious for certain things to happen in the park pickup spot. And he said, and he was there, and he's on the phone with me, and his friend is, and he says, well, what do I do? I said, well, you knothead, why do you think God told you? I was such a good pastor back then. I said, you knothead, why do you think God told you to go home a different way and that you would discover this? What do you think God's intention is? And he says, confrontation. I'm like, well, yeah, that's going to be the first part of it. But what is his intention? And his intention is restoration. Redemption is what Dave was preaching into this morning. And so he goes out and he confronts him. The guy's embarrassed. Tells him, no, I love you. And let me tell you what happened. God loves you so much. He sent me home a different way. 
He spoke to me because he's actively involved in seeing you free. So that was someone who was struggling with sin. And they've mentioned that. And he went to him. He confronted him. There was tension. There's always going to be tension. But the tension turned into redemption, which is what God's intention was. Another story. Another guy. He was a young 20-something-year-old young man who got saved in our church, who was in a homosexual relationship with a 45-year-old man who ran the Christian um, radio station in our city. <laughs> he was actively, openly homosexual, and no one would say anything about it. No one would confront it. It was a non-issue because it was cultural, even back then. And he came, and we ended up, you know, he repented. He had an encounter with the Lord, and uh, he lived with us for a season as we tried to help him get back on his feet and move away from a lifestyle he felt was destructive. And we came in one evening, a few months into it, and he was sitting on the couch, and he says, I'm leaving. And we said, oh, did you find a place? He said, no, I'm going back with that person that I was sleeping with before. And so did what Dave talked about this morning, and I confronted him. I said, but... You've said and you've shown and you've told me and we've discussed this is wrong. This is sin. I said, is, do you not see that? He goes, I see it. I said, why would you do this then? And here's what he said. Because I want to. And he went back into that relationship and it was exactly what we told him it was going to be, exactly what God said it was going to be. It was incredibly and utterly destructive. And the last we saw the guy, he was um, into drugs and all kinds of other things. He was in a downward spiral. So here's my point. And it took a little bit of time. I know we're a little bit late this morning, but I want to, Dave opened the can of worms, and I want to pour them out and let's look at them all. all right. <laughs> why does that matter? Why does all this matter? Uh, why did God have Dave preach on a, such an interesting subject this morning? Here's what I think. As we go back into whatever we call normal after COVID, right? God's intention for us as a local church is to make disciples. So we're going to get into that and everything that means. And I'm going to challenge the living daylights out of every single one of you. I'm going to challenge you to give more. I'm going to challenge you to create margin in your life so you can reach people for the Lord. I'm going to challenge you to build relationship with people who don't know Jesus so you can eventually share Jesus and love them really well or at least be in an, in, in an opportunity in a position where you can. And it's going to challenge us in a big, big way. And part of the reason why I think the Lord is opening up this can of worms about how do you respond to people in sin is because Jesus' heart and his longing is there are lost and there are broken people who do not know him. And the joy and the peace that you and I, many of us as believers, experience in, with the world and its challenges, sure. But the peace and the joy and the love and the kindness and the goodness of God that is ours should not only be ours. And so I want to ask you to pray as we go into the vision for DCF, as we go into the summer and then kick off again in the fall in a big way. We're going to get busy. <laughs> and I'm going to challenge you to lean in more to what the Lord is calling us into and what it means to be missional, what it, reach, what it means to reach people who are in sin, who are broken, who are undone. And that means for some of you guys, you're going to have to change some ways that you're thinking. You're going to have to be transformed in how you deal and how you respond to people who are in sin. So I want to ask you to pray. And I want to ask you to, to go after what the Lord is going after. And as we move forward and those challenges come, I want you to hear what God is saying and I want to lay down, I want you to lay down the stuff that you want to do, and I want to pick, I want you to pick up the stuff that God wants you to do. And I'm just going to challenge you. It's not going to be easy. And you're going to have to make some tough calls and some tough decisions. But I believe the Lord is He's raising something up inside of us. This passion, this tension, as it were, with what it means to make disciples. And oftentimes we're not actually doing that. And I think He wants us to get back on track. And so as a team, as a leadership, we're going to begin to teach and preach into this and what it means. And let me just say this. It'll be challenging in the beginning, but when people begin to testify of coming out of the brokenness and the hurt and the destruction that sin has caused their life, there is going to be a joy inside of you that rises up that says whatever cost that, was, that you paid was far worth it. Amen?
So, Lord, we just say thank you. Interesting, interesting morning. We say thank you for the things you've stirred up in us. Maybe it's questions. Maybe it's challenges, ideas. But, Lord, there's a sense of a holy tension in my heart right now. And I don't think that's something that needs to go away quickly. So, Lord, I pray this morning, if that's happening also in others, here and online, Lord, that you would just begin to burn into our hearts your passion and your heart and your love for the sinner, whether it's someone who's never known you or, Lord, someone who's gone astray. And so, Lord, your heart is love and grace and truth. Pour pour it out, Lord, again to bring people to a place of brokenness so that they can come to a place of wholeness and joy. And so, Lord, we say yes and we choose yes to come along for that ride. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.